and welcome to the Happy Yoga Podcast with me, your host, Joe Hutton. And in this podcast, we talk about all things yoga and all things to make your mind a happier place to live in. Let's get started. So we've got all the way to the fourth limb of yoga as set out by Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras. So this one is pranayama, which is often described as breath work, but I'm actually going to split this episode into two because even though it's commonly known as breath work and that is how we experience pranayama on a physical level, there is a little bit more energetically. So sometimes it's translated as the life force, the life energy. And I'll be looking at that in next week's episode, because if I tried to talk about them both at once, I think I would trip over myself. I'd get confused. I'd run you all in circles. So I think it's probably easier if I just split the two up and I talk about the way that pranayama works physically in this episode and talk about energetic idea of prana in next week's episode. So pranayama is breathing exercises. So if you were to go to a class and the teacher was going to say, we're going to do some pranayama, you would probably expect the teacher would get you to do breathing exercises, either withholding the breath, counting the breath, maybe speeding the breath up. There's millions of different ways to do a pranayama exercise and what they're asking you to do will just depend on the teacher and the style of yoga. But I would say that breathing exercises pretty ubiquitous in yoga classes. You'd be hard pushed to find a yoga class where the teacher didn't get you to do some form of pranayama. They might not call it pranayama, they might call it breathing, they might not call it anything, they might just get you to do it and you're not really knowing that that's what you're doing. But any breathing exercises that you do in a yoga class is technically a pranayama exercise. So as you're sitting here listening to this podcast... I imagine that you're probably not sitting in a dark room, only listening to my voice. You might be, but I would imagine that most of you will be listening or watching this podcast as you do other things. Maybe you're driving your car, maybe you're doing your dishes, maybe you're commuting to work. We're very used to, as humans, doing two things at once. But we're also very good at being able to pay attention to one thing. So what I'm trying to get at is we can do something, but also be only paying attention consciously to one thing. If you were to say, what are you doing right now? You might say, listening to a podcast, or you might say, doing the dishes, or you might say, looking out the window. But that isn't all you're doing. You're not just doing the things that you are consciously aware of of doing. You're also doing a million different things as well. You're pumping your blood around your body. You're digesting your food. If you've got any cuts on your skin or if you've got an illness, you'll be healing yourself. Your immune system will be working. Your hair will be growing. All of these things that you don't have to consciously control. You don't have to consciously think of. And part of this is deciding what to pay attention to. So have you ever been in a room 
maybe you've been in a restaurant and you're sitting and you're talking to your friend and you think someone says your name across the room and suddenly your attention goes whoop over to that conversation that was happening. You were probably not aware that you were listening to that conversation until you thought you heard your name. It feels like you're in entire intention is on one thing but actually all of the time your brain is filtering out information around you all of the time to see whether there is anything that is important to you. So why am I talking about this? I just want us to get into the idea that your brain isn't just the conscious part of yourself your brain and your body have an intelligence and are doing things all of the time without your conscious control. We've evolved to be able to do this because we need to be able to conserve energy in our brains so that we can do other things. So if we had to consciously make our hearts beat, if we had to consciously decide what temperature to put our bodies at, if we had to consciously think about every time we stepped off a pavement, how deep the pavement was, what the surface was going to be like. If we had to do that every single time, we just wouldn't be able to do anything else because our conscious brains would be completely full of the tasks of just sitting in a room. Even sitting in a room thinking, I've got to make my heart beat, I've got to get my lungs going, I've got to digest my food. All of those things would mean that you were exhausted, you just wouldn't have anything else to do. So we've evolved an unconscious part of our brain. Actually, I don't think that's true. I think it's the other way around. We had an unconscious part of the brain and we evolved a conscious part, but that's a different story for a different day. And the purpose of our unconscious tasks is to keep us alive and keep us safe from danger. Now, there are two types of danger. There's immediate danger. So there's the danger of a bear jumping out at us. There is that danger of immediacy that needs to either, I'm sure you've all heard of this, you're either going to fight, flight or freeze. I think there's fawn in there as well. They keep adding things to it. But the immediate danger that you're going to have to use your adrenaline and attack something or you're going to have to run away fast. So that's the kind of danger that pumps you up and needs immediate remedy. But we don't just need to be able to fight and run away. I always say this about humans, but If you think about it, we're pretty rubbish, aren't we? We're we're bald, we haven't got long claws, we haven't got good teeth, we don't run that fast, we don't swim very well, and yet we're top of the food chain. We have this amazing ability to be able to um, manipulate the world around us to our needs, to our whims. We can do things like farm animals, we can do agriculture, we can know when the seasons are going to be, we can cooperate with each other and understand the world around us in order to manipulate the world to our will, to a point. And this is because we're really, really good at cooperating. And also we've got these amazing brains that can kind of 
understand and see into the future. We don't just deal with immediate danger. We can foresee and we can look into the future and see danger that might be coming up. So we can think, well, it rained last year. So this year when it's sunny, let's put some felton on the roof so that when it rains this year, will have shelter. And we're not the only animals that do this, but we are definitely the animals that do it to such a high degree. And there's not just the planning and the cooperation, there's things like we need to be able to heal ourselves. So if we have a good immune system, then we're going to be able to see off the danger of viruses and illnesses. If we have good sleep, if we're rested, then when the immediate danger comes in the future, we will have a much better stead of being able to fight it off. So basically we have two types of danger. We have immediate danger and we have danger that's coming down the road. And what our bodies have done is we basically have two states of being. So we have the state of being when there isn't immediate danger and we can focus on the things that are going to put us in good stead for when the immediate danger comes in the future. And then we have the state that we're in when we have immediate dangers. And I'm sure we've all felt this to a certain extent where the person that we are when we're stressed versus the person that we are when we're calm, it's not that we're different people, but most people have very different ways of interacting with the world and it can almost feel like not like you have two personalities but that there are like two ways of being that are very different to when you're calm and when you're not so an example of this is i'm sure when you're stressed you will react very differently things so a good example of this is if you open a cupboard and some lentils fall out onto the floor when you are stressed you're going to react to that very very differently to if how you react when you're not stressed. So when you're stressed, if you open the door and the lentils fall out, it'll feel like the end of the world. If you're not stressed and you're calm and you open the cupboard door and the lentils fall out, then it'll just feel like, oh, the lentils have fallen out. I'll go and get the hoover. And both of these states are really important and they're both you. So the real you isn't the calm you and the real you isn't the stressed you, they're both you. The goal isn't to always be calm all the time, and the goal isn't to always be stressed all the time, they're both really important, but they both happen at different times, and they have different purposes. But the stressed you is only supposed to happen in short bursts. The the you that's away from danger is supposed to be your natural state. And th these two parts of the nervous system are called your sympathetic nervous system, which is your flight or fight, and your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest. And these happen unconsciously. So you may not even notice yourself slipping between the two during the day. You might not even notice that you've gone from one to the other. It's completely unconscious. You don't have to think, oh, there's danger. I'd better release adrenaline. I'd better make my hair stand on end. I'd better get my muscles twitching. I'd better change my body temperature. Your brain just does it for you. 
And the thing about stress and danger is if your body thinks that there is danger, it's going to put you into that flight or fight more than if it thinks that you're relaxed. So for example, you might react to the same thing differently if you are in the sympathetic nervous system to when you're in the parasympathetic nervous system. So what I mean by that is there is a thing called hyperarousal where you slip into the flight or fight at a quicker rate. And this might be because you have had trauma in the past, so your body remembers danger. Or it might be that you've had a long period of stress, so it it just feels like it's more likely that the thing is going to be dangerous. So for example, if you're sitting watching the telly and you hear a bang, you're going to react very differently to that bang if you have had a period of stress recently. You might be sitting there in the parasympathetic nervous system in the rest and digest state, but your history of stress and trauma is going to depend on how quickly you go into that sympathetic nervous system again. So for example, if you've had a period of stress and you sit and watching the telly and there's a loud bang, you're more likely to go quickly into that sympathetic nervous system and stay there than if you have had a period of of calmness, if you haven't been being stressed. And this is colloquially known as being jumpy. So if you are a jumpy person, if you're the type of person that if you walk into a room and there's someone there that you're not expecting and you jump out of your skin, it might be that you have been experiencing stress for a long time or it might be that you've had trauma in the past. So it's more likely to put you into that sympathetic place quicker. And also if your brain and your body thinks that there is danger, then it doesn't want you to relax. So this is something that happens when people are learning relaxation techniques and breathing techniques is they say, well, I find it really difficult to relax. My brain doesn't want to switch off. My body doesn't want to switch off. For the first bit, I sit there and I I really can't relax. And that's because your body will not be wanting you to sit there and breathe and be still because your body thinks there's danger. The relaxation state is something that you consciously want, whereas your body and your brain just want you to be safe. So if they think that there is danger and you're sitting there still breathing with your eyes closed, they're going to say, well, what are you doing that for? There could be danger. You'd be much better off looking up your symptoms on Google, going through worries in your head, because that feels like it'll be keeping you out of danger, whereas sitting there still will feel threatening to your body. So the reason why I say that is because I think a lot of people feel guilty if they can't just sit there and relax. And some people might need to do things before they sit down. So doing some physical yoga before they do the pranayama or even just going for a walk or having a dance, getting that that adrenaline out of your body before you sit down and do your breathing exercises. So what's this all got to do with the breath? Well, the breath is the link between the unconscious and conscious part of your nervous system. So your breath is the part of your body where you have both conscious and unconscious control over. So you consciously change your breath, but you can also not consciously change your breath and just switch off from it and you'll just keep breathing. 
And the way that you breathe when you are stressed is very different to the way that you breathe when you are relaxed. So if you imagine a puppy or a baby lying there in relaxed state, just think about the way that a puppy or a baby's belly goes up and down when they're breathing and they take these huge, deep, slow breaths, their entire belly expands and then they and then they let it out and it's like their whole body is breathing and they're taking these really long, slow, deep breaths. And it's the same kind of breath that you take when you are going to sleep or if you're relaxed, you can just take these really big, deep, slow breaths. But when you're stressed, your body thinks you might have to run away or fight. So it's going to want to take quick, fast breaths so you can get as much oxygen to your muscles as possible so that if you do have to run away or if you do have to fight you're going to have as much oxygen there as possible so that you so that you can get up and 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 just do it but what we can do is we can use the breath as a bridge to connect between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system so our in-breath is connected to our sympathetic nervous system, our flight or fight, and our out-breath is connected to our parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and digest, which is why when we are feeling stressed, we sigh. You know when you go, and a sigh feels really, really good because we're letting out stress, it is stimulating our rest and digest state. This is why when we're doing breathing exercises, when we're wanting to calm down, we use the out-breath, so we extend the out-breath. And it's why when we're wanting to stimulate ourselves, so if we're doing like a bellows breath, we will focus on the in-breath, we will take quicker in-breaths. And it's why we spend so much time talking about the breathing in yoga as a form and as a tool to get you to journey through the different states of your nervous system to get you to that relaxed state. So that's the physical reason why we focus so much on pranayama or the breath in yoga. In next week's episode, we're going to be talking about prana as an energetic entity. I hope that you join us. The Happy Yoga Podcast was brought to you by me, Jo Hutton. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and you're always welcome to join the community. So follow the link in the show notes if you want to be part of the community. Bye!